1: The Beatles Yesterday and Today 1968 Episode 8 October through November On Sunday, October 13th, the 32nd and final song intended for the Beatles album was a gentle and touching new John Lennon composition entitled Julia, named after his late mother, but also included a reference to Yoko in its lyric. Julia was a solo Lennon recording, the only such occurrence during the Beatles' career and it was recorded simply on a four-track machine, acoustic guitar and vocal tape twice over, and two vocal recordings allowing for an effective word overlapped on the word Julia itself.
2: I thought i say meaningless But I said just to reach you to
3: It was till then. It again. There was, one or two it was just the one, wasn't it? I couldn't. Couldn't I go from there? You know. No. Because that one was
2: perfect, wasn't it?
4: <laughs>
3: state was entirely when I just took my mind off it
4: for a second.
1: There was also another song John wrote for the album, but it was left off.
3: Look at me was written uh, around the Beatles double album time, you know, I just never got it got it done, you know.
5: we
0: Author of the Beatles recording sessions charts the progression of the band's in-studio technique
6: the Beatles recordings changed really throughout their career I mean the technique changed. they started off on two track uh, that was for about the first year then they went on to four track which was from the uh, I want to hold your hand session and that four track went right through revolver through sergeant pepper even which was amazingly done on four track right up until the White Album when uh, emi studios which was actually behind some of the other london studios finally got an 8-track about halfway through the making of that In fact, there's loads of funny stories and one of them is that um the 8-track machine arrived at abbey road and it was in the office of one of the technical boffins who wasn't happy with something and wouldn't let it out of his office and uh, when the bingles discovered to their horror that there was an 8-track in the building and they weren't being allowed to use it they liberated it one night and uh, nearly got a couple of people the sack actually But, you know, the the Beatles ruled the roost in a way. If they wanted the 8-track and they nicked it out of somebody's office, that was good enough. You know, from that moment on, it was theirs. Um, And, of course, with 8-track, their technique changed because prior to that, they'd mostly been just doing live takes. And they were just take and take and take and take until they found one that they were happy with and then they'd start overdubbing. But with 8-track tapes they were just doing rhythm tracks. So the listening to the archive tapes became a little less interesting from say the White Album onwards because whilst you might get like 65 takes of a song, you certainly don't have 65 with vocals, you'd have 64 or 65 with just the rhythm track, which is pretty repetitious to listen to. And then they just had the vocals at the end. Even through towards the end of their career, I don't think there was any one take stuff, but I think something like Julia on the White Album, I think John did it in three takes, including double tracking and, uh, they would still do stuff very quickly on occasion. But then on the other hand, they might do like George is not guilty on the white album, which was still left off was actually 102 takes. Although I do stress in the book, that doesn't mean 102 takes with vocals and nor does it mean you've got 102 complete takes. Most of them would have broken down or had false starts, but uh, they were, and each one was numbered. But you know, you've got one end of the spectrum to the other there. You know, you've got your one take stuff and you've got your 102 take stuff.
3: It wasn't so much the machinery changed, but we got knowledge of the studio.
0: Of course, Lewison's book also shows the evolution of George Martin's role as
6: producer. George would admit that in early days, his role was really to sort of translate all their ideas uh, into sort of studio requirements. They would go in with the song, but they didn't really have have any idea how it could be captured on tape. And he would be there to make sure that, uh, you know, it was all done fine. And, I mean, George Martin's role can never be overestimated. You know, it really was a, a vital role. But certainly around the time of so Revolver, Sergeant Pepper, because the Beatles were very quick learners and because they were starting to suggest new inventions in the studio, inventions which were as new to, to George Martin as they were to the Beatles, um, they were sort of on a par with George, really. Um, and his role definitely changed, whereby he would be scoring things or arranging things. Um, but they definitely had ideas. I mean, Paul McCartney said, and he wasn't being unkind, he said that if if he wasn't there, it didn't matter anymore. They would go on and do it without him.
7: Originally, George was the supreme producer, but as things loosened up, George gave us a bit of the control of the tools. During the sessions,
8: the Beatles were not acting together as a team, but ended up as session men for each other's songs george martin found the disunity unpleasant and ended up producing only a few of the tracks
7: the first time i had to split myself in three ways because we were recording at any one time in different studios so you might have you know john in one studio and paul in another and george and ringo sort of going between They were getting further and further apart anyway they were writing their own songs and tending to record their own songs i was I was tending to record not a band of four but three soloists who had three accompanists each time and um so that george would do his own thing and the others would join in and a little more reluctantly than they used to and paul would do his own thing and sometimes john wouldn't turn up you know once again mark lewison and
6: there were a few sessions when george wasn't around um chris thomas very famous record producer these days, uh, he helped out on quite a bit of the White Album because George Martin was on a holiday. And when you play the album, you can't actually work out which tracks George wasn't there for. The Beatles' double album, George
3: Martin didn't really produce it, you know. I don't know whether this is standards but he didn't, you know.
1: On Monday, October 14th, Ringo flew out to Sardinia for a two-week holiday. Leaving final mixing and judgment on the double album's running order to the other three remaining Beatles and the production team. They all camped out in the studio to sequence and master the entire four sides in one obsessive 24-hour mixing session. Chris Thomas remembers a weird combination of fatigue and excitement.
7: He was, uh, I was in the front room, looking over Abbey Road there, with uh, with John listening to uh, listening to the sequencing with John Lennon. John Smith was chopping all the tapes up. Yeah and um george martin had gone home at this point uh, i think george harrison had gone home because he was going he was flying with the tapes to america that day so uh ken scott was in number three mixing helter skelter again and uh and he came in and asked my help my help because uh, paul had fallen asleep on the mixer <laughs> yeah we did do 24 hours straight through i left i mean i remember i arrived at two and i left at two o'clock in the afternoon
1: not only were they pulling an all-nighter to get the mix right, they were actually sequencing the album tracks, which means putting the songs in the order we've all come to take for granted.
7: I think basically what happened was they made up the album, and then of course you've got to listen to the whole thing. You know, you've got to listen to a side, and then suddenly it's like clang, that song doesn't follow that. Right, it might right. look great on paper, but you listen to it, and it just doesn't work. Right. So. Basically, that was what was going on there. And so it's a pretty laborious job. And it's a very difficult thing to do as well when everybody knows the song so well. I mean, sequencing at the end of an album is quite a tough job mentally, really.
1: And on October 16th, George Harrison flies to Los Angeles, California to produce seven weeks of sessions for Jackie Lomax's up-and-coming LP.
5: I'm going to take all my loneliness, I'm going to take all my pain And wrap them up inside my memory and never hear from them again Cause there's a new day dawning, there's a new day dawning There's a new day dawning, there's a new day dawning, new day dawning. And I think it's going to be alright Cause I almost see the light of a new day I'll throw away my protection I won't be needing that no more It's time to look out for perfection I got to get outside my door Cause there's a new day dawning 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 dawning. And I think it's gonna be alright Cause I almost see the light Of a new day I think it's gonna be all right be but all I'm right. sure I can see the light, the
4: light.
5: Of a new day
8: raid the Montague Square flat of master criminal John Lennon on October 18th. They find a small amount of marijuana and charge John with possession. A troop of London policemen accompanied by
0: dogs and reporters raided the flat at 34 Montague Square. It was owned by Ringo, and John and Yoko were living there temporarily. As a shaken John called Brian Epstein's attorney, the cops, led by a detective named Norman Pilcher... Claimed they found 219 grains of cannabis resin, or hashish, in Lennon's basement.
3: Well, we were lying in bed feeling very clean and drugless because we'd heard three weeks before they were coming to get us and we would have been silly to have drugs in the house. <laughs> and then all of a sudden a woman comes to the front door or to the front of the flat and rings a bell and says... I've got a letter for you, and we lift up, Yoko lifts up the thing, you know, like you press a bell and the door opens. Says, who is it? Says You're not the postman, Yoko says. And she says, no, it's very personal. So she goes out, and suddenly there's, this woman starts pushing the door, and she thinks it's the press or, you know, sort of fans or something. And then we ran back in and hid, and neither of us were dressed really, we just had vests on, you know. And our lower parts were showing. You. And <laughs> yes, we
2: weren't.
3: We shut the door, yes, and she was on the floor. I said, "What is it? What is it?" I thought it was the mafia or something. And uh, she told me. Then there's a big bangy at the bedroom window, and a big sort of super and, uh sort of growling, and. Uh, he said, "Let me in, let me in." I said, no, "No, you're not allowed in like this, are you?" I was so frightened and high. Like I said, uh, "Shouldn't you uh, even come round the front door? Just let me get dressed." And he said, "I oh, open the window and all that, <laughs> I'm going to fall off." He was saying. He took the trouble to climb up the whole way. Well, there were some at the front and some at the back. He said. From
2: the window they came, yeah. you know, and so I kept saying, "Please let John put pants on, you know, because me after all, we didn't have pants on we're yet."
3: Prudes, you know.
2: <laughs> That's
3: what it is then. <laughs> I just didn't want to show the policeman. And so uh, we kept them and Yoko held the window while I got dressed. And she sort of got dressed, half leaning out the bathroom so she could see we weren't hiding anything. And then they started charging the door. I had a big dialogue with the policeman and saying, it's bad publicity if you come through the window. And he was going, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just open the window. And, uh, you make it worse for yourself and I said I want to see the warrant so another guy comes on the roof and they show me this paper and I pretend to read it just to try and think what to do
2: and I was just calling the lawyer you
3: said yeah I was saying call the lawyer call the lawyer and she calls the, our office instead <laughs> I said no not, not the office the <laughs> lawyer and uh, I
0: finally called her finally
3: well done and then there was gee, heave on the door so I ran and opened it and said it uh okay okay you know i'm clean anyway thinking i was clean no drugs that means mm-hmm. and he says ah i got you for obstruction i said oh uh, you know sounds okay because i felt confident i had no drugs and then they all came in you know lots of them and a woman and uh i was saying well what happens now you know can i call the office i've got an interview in a few hours Mm. Or in an hour, can I call them and tell them I can't come? No, i not allowed to make a phone call. <laughs> can I use your phone? Uh, so they, that's going on. And then the, our lawyer came. I think and then they brought the
2: dogs. Yeah,
3: they brought some dogs. They couldn't find the dogs because they must only have two, you know. And they kept ringing up saying, "Hey, Charlie, where's the dogs? We've been here half an hour now."
4: <laughs>
3: and the dogs came, and I had all my stuff moved into the flat from my house. I'd never looked at it. Just been there for years. I'd ordered cameras and clothes, but my driver had brought binoculars, you know, which I don't need in a little flat with a view like that. And inside the binoculars was some hash from last year. Yeah. And somewhere else in an envelope at the bottom was a, another piece of hash. So that was it. You're talking about, uh, uh, you know, I didn't really touch you. Did you, did you feel? Oh, I was f- frightened, you know. I mean, I'm paranoid anyway, both are, especially about people
8: coming to the door and that. On October the 18th, police raided the flat where John and Yoko were staying in London and found 219 grains of cannabis resin. They eventually pleaded guilty to possession and were fined £150. That conviction was to have long-term consequences.
3: I was got for possession, you know. It wasn't on my body, but it was in the house, and possession means you could be a pusher, you know, so... You can just see John Lennon pushing drugs for a living, you know. There was a question raised in the House of Parliament. Why do they need 40 cops to arrest John and Yoko? That thing was set up, the Daily Mail and the Daily Express were there before the cops came. He'd called the press. In fact, Don Short had told us they're coming to get you three weeks before. So believe me, I'd cleaned the house out because Jimi
0: Hendrix had lived there before in this apartment, and I'm not stupid. I went through the whole damn house. Pilcher, the cop Lennon says, set him up was the same guy who'd busted Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Marianne Faithful in 1967. Well, Pilcher and his crew informed John and Yoko they were under arrest, the charge being cannabis possession, and because John had protested, Pilcher slapped the charge of obstructing police in the execution of a search warrant on them, just for good measure.
3: And the cop said to me, well, we've got you now, so it's nothing personal, yeah.
0: Well, the first question asked by a lot of people, including John was why hadn't he been nailed in a drug charge before then? After all, back in 67, Paul McCartney and even Beatles manager Brian Epstein had publicly admitted they'd taken LSD and more or less gotten away with it. There was some myth about us being protected because
3: we had MBE. I don't think it was true. It's just that we never did anything. I mean, the way Paul said the acid thing, I mean, he got a, you know, he did a sort of, I don't know it never got attacked for it you know i don't i don't know where that was protection because it was sort of openly admitting that we had drones. i don't really know the reason why they suddenly busted me now probably because they've been waving the flag a bit i
0: thought on october 19th 1968 the day after their arrest john winston lennon and yoko ono appeared at marlebone magistrates court in london they were formally charged with unauthorized possession of cannabis resin and released pending trial on November 28th.
9: Yesterday, John Lennon and his girlfriend, the Japanese actress Yoko Ono, were arrested, charged with the use of marijuana, and today they were arraigned here at Magistrates Court in London. He's the one who's known as the most way
8: out of the Beatles. Right now, John Lennon is looking very hard for his car because if he doesn't get his car, he's likely to be
0: mobbed.
8: That girl next to me just a
9: moment ago said, Cynthia is better than
0: her.
3: The picture on the back of Life of the Lions on Finnish music number two is us being
8: dragged out of the police station. It's from a newspaper picture. On November 1st, 1968, George Harrison's soundtrack album to the movie Wonderwall is released. The Wonderwall LP is the first solo endeavor by any Beatle, and the first album released on their much-heralded Apple label. Well, it seems to me the only album that was released while the band was still together was Wonderwall, George's record, and that was basically an experimental, instrumental type of That mm, so, was a film soundtrack. A film, film soundtrack, yeah. yeah. Recorded in Bombay and London, all the music was written, arranged, and performed by George Harrison. There are a lot of Indian musicians, and again featuring the great Sarod player Ashish Khan. There was a new photo of George taken by their old Hamburg friend Astrid inside. Texturally, the music was fairly eclectic, and the melodies pretty. It wasn't a pop album, and it wasn't meant to be. First, here's a taste from the Bombay sessions. Now, here's something from the London session, featuring an old friend of the Beatles from Liverpool they had known as teenagers, guitarist Eddie Clayton.
1: On November the 8th, Northern Songs Limited, the songwriting contract, which owned the rights to John, Paul, George, and Ringo's music, officially expires. John and Paul renew. Cynthia was granted her divorce on November the 8th. Cynthia Lennon explains the events leading up to her
10: receiving the divorce grant. We were progressing toward divorce, but we still had to sort out the three biggest obstacles. Who would divorce whom, money, and most important of all, Julian. In October, John and Yoko's London flat was raided by the police, who found some cannabis. They were charged with possession of the drug and with obstructing the police. They were later found guilty of possession, but not obstruction. A week later, they announced that Yoko was pregnant, with a baby due in February. My humiliation was complete, although I could see the comical side, too. That meant she had got pregnant in May, when John was determined to accuse me of adultery. To my enormous relief, he agreed not to contest my divorce petition. The fear that Magic Alex would suddenly decide to claim I had committed adultery with him and provide John with ammunition against me had lurked at the back of my mind. Thank goodness I could now let that prospect go. I saw John and Yoko once more, in the lawyer's office to which John and I had been summoned to sign the divorce papers, John barely looked at or spoke to me throughout the meeting, and when he left the room to go to the loo, Yoko followed him. A few minutes later, I went into the corridor with my lawyer for a private discussion and saw Yoko waiting outside the door to the gents. At that moment, John emerged, and as they passed me, he said, See, I don't go anywhere without Yoko. He had agreed that I should have custody of Julian. I imagine the lawyers had told him that he would be highly unlikely to get it but asked for regular visits and I accepted this. However, Julian hadn't seen John since the acrimonious meeting at the house several months earlier, and I had no idea when, if ever, John would ask to see his son. Money was perhaps the toughest issue. My lawyers had told me that on no account should I make contact with John, as that would be collusion. I was put in touch with a top lawyer, a QC who told me I could take John to the cleaners and fight for half his fortune, but I was finding it hard to cope with the cold legal process. I wanted to talk to John, to tell him how much Julian missed him, to sort things out amicably. So I phoned him. What do you want? He snapped. John, I can't bear all the animosity. It's as though we never loved each other. They want me to take half your money, but I'd rather we talked and sorted it out between us without any of the legal jargon. There's nothing to talk about. My final offer is £75,000. That's like winning the pool, so what are you moaning about? You're not worth any more. On that definitive note, he hung up.
8: And Cynthia retained custody of their son, Julian, who had just turned five. The second Apple album was released on the 11th of November and featured nude photos of John and Yoko on the cover. John and Yoko's controversial Two Virgins album came out in the U.S. on November the 11th. A recently divorced John Lennon, along with performing partner Yoko Ono, displayed the ultimate in cheek in more ways than one with the release of their Two Virgins LP. The album's sleeve was a shocker, presenting its players totally nude. Tony Bramwell, Apple promotion manager at that time.
7: In the autumn of 68, John's relationship with Yoko got much stronger and he did get divorced from Cynthia. His controversial Two Virgins album was released. The sleeve of it featured John and Yoko naked, taken in their flat, which was in Montague Square. John really wasn't too good with cameras and I set the camera up and the lighting and the delayed action and then left, left it up to them to take the photograph, which was printed secretly by a well-known newspaper.
1: Neil Aspinall.
7: All that I remember was um, a, a guy called Jeremy Banks, right, who was uh, working at Apple at the time. I think John had just given him a roll of film and said, get that developed, please, right? And so when he got it back, <laughs> I saw these pictures. Right, uh, Jeremy always used to come in and say, you know, everything was mind-blowing, you know. And uh, just that one time he was right, actually. You know, he came and said, this is mind-blowing, have you seen this? He couldn't believe it when he picked them up, you know.
8: Paul is quoted on the album sleeve saying, When two great saints meet, it is a humbling experience. The recordings were probably more suited for an art gallery than the top 100. Paul, what did you think of John's cover?
3: It shocked me as much as it shocked him, as much as it shocked anyone. And I just said, well, you know, you're going to get in trouble doing that. And he said, well, I don't mind. I'd rather do it and get into trouble if I get into trouble. And he said, I don't even think I will. So I eventually came around <laughs> to it. And I said, well, don't get yourself in trouble, son. Go ahead.
7: I, mean, I, I think it's a good thing now. Silly of me to try and protect John, you know.
10: Even more
8: shocking, said John, were the other Beatles' reactions to the packaging, not to mention the product itself.
3: George and Paul were a little shocked.
8: That was weird.
3: That really shocked me, the fact that they were prudish. You know? I know it was kind of quite shocking,
7: um, but I'm not sure whether us lot were too shocked um, by it, just physically. We just knew he'd have a bit of flack with it, and, you know, obviously the minute the newspapers saw a shot like that.
1: Here's Ringo Starr.
7: The cover was the mind-blower.
3: Uh, I remember to this day he came and showed me the cover. I don't really remember what the music is. I'd have to play it now. Um, but he showed me this cover, and I and I, and I I pointed to the Times. <laughs> oh, you've even got the Times in it like his dick wasn't out, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, Oh, come on, John, you know, you know, you know, you're doing all this stuff you know it, it may be cool for you but you know we have to answer you know it doesn't matter one of us whichever one of us does something we all have to answer for it he says well ring you only have to answer the phone so <laughs> <said>, okay fine because <laughs> it was true the press would be calling off you know what do you think of this
9: and of course the sunday papers were at us and with this photograph this filthy thing look at these filthy people in a big circle over the naughty part
7: mm. And arrows this is where the naughty part would be
9: if, if people like us were not so decent that we wouldn't dream of showing it to you but
3: aren't they awful and they at the actual the, the first record that would have been out on apple would have been two virgins if they hadn't held it up you know they stalled and they said this that and the other and george is saying why why did you do it though why did you do it and i was going why not why not nobody could give me an answer you know? so uh, the, it started there, and the, you know, I thought, I didn't, you know, being naive in, in, in lots of ways, I had no idea I was going to get slacking from the immediate family. I thought, you know, maybe somebody out there will say something, but I was making a statement, or you know, York and I were making a statement. You know? And but nobody could understand, you know, a statement being made in another form other than a record. The statement it was a statement it was as good as a song it was better you know you couldn't say it better picture speaks louder than words right there it was you know beautiful statement so joseph lockwood who i still like he was a nice guy but he sat down on a big table up at the top of emi with john and Yoko, and told me he'll do everything he can to help us put two virgins out because we explained what it meant and why we were doing it And he said that he understood it and he'd do everything he can to help us. And he got me to sign him one. He's got a signed edition of the very first one, anything. And when we tried to put it out, he sent a personal note to everybody saying, don't print it, don't put it out. See, so we couldn't get the cover printed anywhere. It was really due out about nine months before it came out.
0: And it it didn't come out as capital Records. I think it came out as Tetra Gramophone or whatever.
3: Yeah, over here, we had to go with some other firm. Super
4: perdoz,
3: Two virgins happened. happened by accident, yeah, mm. but still, once we st- I realized somebody else was as kind of balmy as me, you know, like the sort of <laughs> freaky sounds and could equally enjoy non-dance music or non-pop music that was, they call it avant-garde, but whatever it is, you know, things to hear in an earphone...
9: What was your sort of frame of mind as far as the Beatles still having hits was concerned when you'd already started on what was to be a very different musical relationship?
3: I wasn't consciously making any decisions. It was all sort of subconscious. I just made the records with the Beatles like one goes to one's job at nine in the morning. You know, I mean, Paul or whoever would say it's time to make a record. I'd just go in and make a record, you know, not think
0: too much about it. Always sort of enjoy the session if it was a good session. Needless to say, John and Yoko had a tough time with the media, with one notable exception, an upstart music and counterculture magazine called Rolling Stone. As founder Jan Wenner and Yoko recall, Stone's first real recognition came in November 1968, when it featured the Two Virgins photo in its first anniversary issue. That was the first time we got any attention. I remember the San Francisco Chronicle wrote a story about Rolling Stone, and it said, Nude Beetle, Perils S.F., (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, with all the reaction, we sold that issue out, thanks to John and Yoko. Well, I heard that people were queuing for, at the newsstand. We had to go to back to press yeah, and reprint that. So well, John and Yoko bought us our first success there. That was a big happening. And in a way, that album probably would not have been uh, so successful. It wouldn't have circulated uh, if it was just an album, because most people thought it was a bum album. I mean, what I mean is, well, we were showing our bums too, but I mean, I don't mean it that way <laughs> but you know and the thing is uh, because it got into the cover of rolling stone somehow it um, made the statement that we wanted to make Well, it was when, when after it came out we wrote i wrote a letter letter from the editor in the following issue about all the fracas and brouhaha and the sellout and the motto and the final lesson and conclusion of putting them on the cover like that naked was print a famous foreskin and the world will be a path to your door <laughs> well you know you must have gotten a lot of flack as well for doing that one and that that was very courageous i thought
1: George Harrison comments on the Two Virgins LP.
6: I don't think I actually heard it. I think I just heard bits of it. I I wasn't particularly into it, you know, into that kind of thing. That was like his and her um, affair, you know, that was the trip.
2: The bigger piggies turning up the dirt Always have clean shirts To play in. in the stars with all
8: The day after Two Virgins is released, a brighter light shines on Apple. It's reported that Hey Jude has sold six million copies worldwide.
1: While in Los Angeles, on November 15th, George taped a cameo on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour.
9: Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Our guests for tonight are the committee, uh, Dion, Jennifer Warren, right? really a, a great new singer, and a special guest star, Donovan. He also has a special guest, uh, too, and he'd like to introduce him right now. That's you. right. I have a beetle. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the kind of beetle you would expect it to be. It's the kind of beetle that you, uh, I think, you hoped it would be. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Harrison. I think I uh, saw the uh, several weeks ago we had on uh, your, your people did uh, oh Hey, hey Jude. Jude and Revolution. We thought, Tommy and I both thought that Hey Jude was the best presentation that we've ever seen of the Beatles. And we're glad it was. Yes, oh, so are we. Hey, my mom, do do? <laughs> this, uh, this is Tommy and this is my brother Dick. Hi, Dick. Hi, Dick. Enjoyed your work. You look different in person. Yeah, so do you. <laughs> it's all the makeup. Too you much have... makeup. Do you have something important? Something very important to say on American television? You know, we don't. We a lot of times we can't. We don't have the opportunity to say anything important because it's American television. Every time you say something, they try to say something important. They uh, the <laughs> lines. <laughs> well, whether you can say it or not keep trying to say it. that's what's important you get that yeah <laughs> that's very important cue, 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 cue. Ah, just, a just a minute just a minute wait a second okay cue the clap now hey.
8: and on the 21st yoko had a miscarriage at a london hospital
0: it was the first of three miscarriages yoko ultimately suffered John stayed with her at Queen Charlotte's Maternity Hospital in Hammersmith, London.
1: John refuses to leave Yoko's bedside and requests to be in the room with her. His request is granted temporarily until the bed is needed for another patient. After one evening, John is asked to give up the bed. He willingly complies and sets up camp alongside Yoko with a sleeping bag. After reading various news articles from the Daily Mirror about the couple, in the hospital room, John and Yoko decide to record themselves reading the articles.
2: in the room where his girlfriend yoko no is being kept under sleep showing John Lennon and you're in the
4: nude
2: the world's biggest recording company whose artist includes the Beatles introduced So did a group's American outlet Capitol Records have an adorning picture of Lennon and his girlfriend on a dome. The the record with its controversial sleeve will be By, by the An official sure of the Beatles Apple Company said last night The, the sleeve has is not been censored or altered any way." Miss Ono age 34 is named in a forthcoming defended divorce suite between Cynthia Lennon and Mr. Lennon's wife We are pleased it is being distributed, but it may be that some record shops will still refuse to handle it. On a windy day, let's go on fly.
0: The next day, the 22nd,
8: the White Album was released in Britain. Tony Palmer wrote of the album a week before its release, If there is any doubt that Lennon and McCartney are the greatest songwriters since Schubert, then next Friday, with the publication of the new Beatles' double LP, should surely see the last vestiges of cultural snobbery and bourgeois prejudice swept away in a deluge of joyful music-making, which only the ignorant will not hear and only the deaf will not acknowledge. The new Beatles album, coming next.
0: For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at YesterdayPod on Twitter and search Yesterday Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time.
11: Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney Archive Podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Brian Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, B sides, bootlegs, and you will Most likely hear songs you've never Heard before which is part of the fun of the show You'll also hear old favorites From new perspectives all lovingly Placed in the context of McCartney's Career and the musical sounds of their era Yeah and don't miss the amazing interview With Denny Lane co-founder of Wings And McCartney songwriting collaborator as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I never miss an episode, and neither should you. That's Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney Archive podcast, available for download now wherever you find podcasts. Check it out now! i'm paul kaminsky and i'm james kaminsky and we are the co-hosts of the third men podcast we are a jack white history podcast where we go over the white stripes third man records the list goes on and occasionally we do a funny voice or two so you're gonna probably want to get used to that or turn it off whatever your preference or whatever turns you on (laughs) hey now you're an all-star because occasionally we'll do an all-star. Podcast. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once. That is true. <laughs> we are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird. See, we weren't <laughs> even lying. <laughs>